Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. God gave me a Ferrari because I am a Ferrari. You're a Ferrari too. When God made you, he had all the options put on. You are fully loaded and totally equipped. So do this with me. Where did we ever come up with the style of preaching we have today? There is some entertaining preaching, but not convicting preaching, and the legacy has been tragic. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Your body is being attacked. This is Wretched Radio. Nope, you can't get a salve. No medication is going to stop the assault on your body. Not a physical attack, but certainly a cultural attack on the body, a moral attack on the body, and most definitely a spiritual assault on the human body. We are living in an age that is redefining the value of this shell that God values. Can you say that God values the soul more than the body? Uh, Well, it's what makes you you. But to say that God doesn't value the body is woefully wrong. He gave us, we are not disembodied spirits. He gave us a physical body for a reason. Furthermore, Jesus as we speak, has a physical body. As the first fruits of the resurrection, he has a physical body like you're going to have. You are going to get an eternal body fit to last forever. Unlike a Tesla that wears down way sooner than the advertising suggests, you're just going to you're just going to be a little energizer bunny. Now, will you need sleep? Yes, but your body is never going to rust out, wear out, or burn out. It's just going to keep going. Isn't that a lovely thought? That your body, no more aches, no more pains, but we are not going to not only, how many negatives was that? We are not only not going to not have pain, but this thing ain't going to break down. You you aren't going to need medicine. You, You aren't going to need to be healed. Because your body is just going to keep on ticking because God values the human body. Remember, we're not going to be drifting around heaven. We are going to be on a new heaven on this earth, a new heaven, a new earth where we'll have physical bodies. We'll eat physical food. We'll do physical things. There will be what's underneath our feet. Very physical. That's because God esteems the body. Which is more, you can have that debate, body or soul. But to neglect any sort of high view of the body is to really just march in lockstep to what our society is attempting to do. Carl Truman, he's a blessing to the body. He's one of them, they're deep thinkers. And he joins a long line of Christian thinkers who put thought into the body. Do you value your body? Well, intrinsically you do because you don't want it burned. You, 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 you don't want it hurt. You don't want bones broken. But there's more to the body than that. And Carl Truman, in a very helpful article critiquing Dennis Prager's troubling defense of pornography, it ain't so bad as long as you use it for a good reason, is actually an anthropological issue. What it means to be human. What is the human body. We need a higher view of it. This has so many implications. All of the stories that you're reading about with trans and how you use it sexually, it's because the body is a frivolous thing. 
What your body says is irrelevant, frankly. It really just depends on what's inside of you, which actually was another article I read on the subject, the battle to technologize the body from the American mind, talking about how we have changed the way that we view the body. And this is something that's been going on for a long time. This article said interior sentiment is upheld as the final arbiter of one's true identity. My inside, more important than my outside. How you feel on the inside is inviolable. The self, so we're told, has a moral obligation to be true to the internal spirit. And a lot of young people are being convinced that this meat, what do they call a meat? Uh, uh, they, they, the kids call it something. This, this, we're just a slab of meat or something. We're meat puppets. I think that's it. The self, we are told, is as an obligation to the internal spirit. And young people are convinced that this metaphysical cocoon cannot be fully escaped until the outside, the body, is brought into line with those feelings inside. And we are seeing that thinking manifest itself with virtually every social issue that we're dealing with. You can't tell me what to do with my body, says the pregnant woman. What I want to do on the inside will determine what I do with the body. Because what I feel is more important than anything in the physical realm. I think the Gnostics, if they were alive today, they might be very impressed with the worldview of the pagans and, well, frankly, too many Christians. But back to Carl Truman. We live in a time of anthropological chaos where the very notion of what it means to be human is no longer a matter of broad social and political consensus. We determine it for ourselves. He also cites pornography is a great example of this, that there is no moral consensus. Why? Because, hey, what you do in the privacy of your own home with your body, long as it doesn't hurt anybody else's body, is fine. Truman writes, behind the problems that should have been obvious to Dennis Prager, who said, pornography, as long as it enhances your marriage, thumbs up. One, the objectification of other people. Two, human trafficking. Three, the transformation of sex into something that is self rather than other directed. There's a lesson a lot of young married couples need to learn. Number four, reduction of the participants to instruments of pleasure for spectators. It lies a basic philosophy of life that sees me, my desires, and my fulfillment at the core of what it means to be human. So pornography is part of an anthropological shift that manifests itself most obviously in sexual mores, but is even more comprehensive in its significance. There's a worldview behind these new norms. Pornography is good? According to Dennis Prager, a conservative Jewish man, a conservative political talk show host, it's good? His understanding of the body is bad. It's low. And it's in lockstep with our culture. Truman, everyday language hints at this. There's been an interesting shift in English idiom over recent years from the language of making love to that of having sex. Huh. They sure are different, aren't they? The former, which seems quaint 
by today's standards, speaks of an act that can only take place between two people who know and love each other, and which has at its core the act of giving. It is deeply relational, and the parties involved are selves, not merely bodies. That this phrase has been supplanted by having sex, which requires no relationship, connotes not giving but taking. Pleasure, hedonism, reflects a foundational change in social attitudes to sex that rest upon radical therapeutic individualism. That's the same thing that the American Mind article was talking about. The self is is the king of the universe, and you better get out of my way, because if I want something, how dare you somehow force me to deny my true self. Others have become instruments, means to one's own selfish end. One can only make love to a lover, but one can have sex with anybody or indeed any body. A fellow named Roger Scruton, hopefully I said that right, he was saw modern art as focused upon a desecration of the human form. This, this is this is now what we are going to be forced to call pornography, the art form of pornography. But nevertheless, such videos are cultural artifacts that a project, the project of vision of what it means to be human. So porn is teaching us what it actually means to be human. They're turning us into animals Then we have no moral compass. Just do whatever makes your body happy. Quote, and they surely present it as a desecration of the human body form, whereby selves are reduced to bodies and bodies are reduced to raw material to be used and abused in any way that satisfies. If you see pornography as morally neutral and consider its moral value to be found in the way it is used rather than in the acts it involves, the manner in which it's produced and the philosophy of being human that it projects, then you're not conservative. Dennis Prager, you are complicit in the desecration of the human form and in the erasure of what it means to be human. Failure to see that simply reveals how philosophically superficial this particular brand of conservatism is. All that to say, and it was a lot in Carl Truman, sometimes can be a little bit of a challenge. He's sometimes right on that verge of being really academically difficult. And yet, he points us toward a direction that is being neglected in the church. And that is more teaching on God's value of the human body. This has implications for your... So here's a question for you, mom and dad. You ever talk to your kids about the theology of the body? We'll try to do that next on Wretched Radio. As you know, we like to talk about MediShare here because it's affordable biblical health sharing. And I actually saw an ad from MediShare announcing themselves to missionaries. How smart is that? What a blessing that might be. If you're not familiar with MediShare, it's an alternative to traditional health insurance, which means it's alternatively less expensive. The average family saves about $500 per month. It's Christians sharing the health burdens of other Christians. It's a beautiful thing. 
whether you're a missionary or not. If in that is a need you have, I encourage you, metashare.com slash wretched, metashare.com slash wretched, or call them and talk to a nice person who's going to pray for you. And they will tell you what your family can anticipate. And you can ask questions. 844-34-BIBLE. 844-34-BIBLE. Well, thanks to our amazing gospel partners around here, we have been able to accomplish some pretty amazing things in 2023. This past year, we were able to launch Season 2 of Transformed. We launched Wretched Worldview 2. And let's not forget Season 4 of Road Trip to Truth, plus hundreds of hours of Wretched TV and radio. Now, what's possible for 2024? Well, we are excited to tell you about something new that we'll be starting next year. Can't let the cat out of the bag just yet, but what we can tell you is we need your help in order to make it happen. That's why we want you to prayerfully consider becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner. And right now through the end of the year, when you do that, every donation you give will be matched dollar for dollar. So join us, become a gospel partner today, and together let's make 2024 even wretched-er. In a good way, of course. I believe in a culture of life. One of the most impactful moments of my life was when I heard the heartbeat of my oldest daughter uh, in my wife's womb and then saw the sonograms of all three of my kids. The sonogram or the, the pictures that are taken of babies, still a profoundly helpful tool, which encourages me to encourage you to consider supporting Preborn Ministries. Preborn Ministries and their network clinics, they are giving away free ultrasounds to women, but they do cost something. It's $28 an ultrasound. And just as you heard Governor DeSantis say, his view of life was profoundly changed when he saw the baby in the womb when you see the form and the shape and the fingers and the heartbeat would you please consider supporting preborn it's a great ministry of life it has a high anthropology shares the gospel with women and with the dads preborn.org slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched attributes of god what does it mean to say God is righteous? He is the standard of what is right and good. He is in strict adherence to his moral law, and he is the source of righteousness through Jesus Christ for every sinner who repents and puts their trust in Christ. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Stop the music! Somebody stop the music! This is Wretched Radio. Before we get to the world turning insane just in time for Christmas, would like to do a year-end shout-out. This is something unusual for us. We don't tend to talk about our financial needs here at Wretched Radio, but year-end giving is a crucial time, and we currently have a matching gift. Talk about generous. It is a large matching gift, and we'd love it if you'd help us actually match it. Now, if you do not have money to give, you take care of your family. You give to your local church first, if you can. Should you have the ability to support our efforts to reach people for the next year? By the way, we're going to be doing another million booklet giveaway. That's right. We want to hand out another one million gospel booklets. We are launching a brand new initiative 
I think you're going to be thrilled with it. In other words, we're working hard for the future to make sure that this ministry is strong and healthy and reaches as many people as possible. We could use your partnership. Would you please consider doing so if you can at wretched.org slash donate, wretched.org slash donate. If you've ne- if you if you've given to us, thank you. If you can give again, we'd be grateful. If you never have, mooey grateful, if you would. Now cue the music. Take it away, Jimmy. As the world turns. Insane. (laughs) (laughs) That was an actual live read. The world is going absolutely bonkers. And the world, which actually creates the problem, offers no solution. In fact, it's like they want to throw gasoline onto the fire that they stoked themselves. There's a tour going on. Don't know if you're aware, obviously. Uh, The loneliness epidemic, it's massive. And so the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, is touring the country, especially university campuses, to help people in their loneliness. Jimmy, I don't know if you're feeling lonely these days, but here's here's what you need to do. This is a description of what is going on on university campuses as led by the United States Surgeon General. And it's a festival aimed at pumping up the undergrads. People dressed as dancing unicorns. Sorry, I just need a moment. People dressed as dancing unicorns, handing out prescriptions for five minutes of social connection. So let me get this right. They're trying to somehow motivate social connection. Well, for a whopping five minutes, because that'll fix years of loneliness and isolation. And how do they plan to go about doing that? Well, by using the mechanism that actually causes so much social isolation, and that is the cell phone. Here's the deal. A drumbeat sounded from the direction of the basketball court, and for a moment it seemed like the soft-spoken Surgeon General might have to compete with band practice. But before long, a drumline of bow-tied gentlemen appeared. I don't know what's happened to the unicorns at this point. Threading through the folding chairs and revving up the crowd who clapped along. Eventually, our Surgeon General, he gets paid by our tax dollars, doesn't he? He does. Okay. Eventually, he instructed the crowd to take out their phones. We're going to use technology for good here. So the thing that causes the problem is now the solution to the problem. He tasked everyone with writing This is so beautiful. This is so helpful for people who are actually hurting. (sighs) He tasked everyone with writing and sending a message to someone they're grateful for in 45 seconds. The lights dimmed. Grammy-winning musician Jean-Baptiste, assisting the Surgeon General's anti-loneliness campaign, tapped a few gentle notes on the piano while the Surgeon General was talking in the dark, slowly and softly. Who knew the Surgeon General was a big Eva mainstream evangelical preacher? Because that sounds like an altar call going on to me. As the lonely people and their allies hit send, they turn on their phone flashlights and wave them in the air. 
Imagine you just dropped a pebble into a pond, and there are ripples that are going to go out. Let's do this for the next five days. Wow. Wow. Your tax dollars hard at work. Hold on. Some more secular advice. This is at Forbes.com. Whenever I think of Forbes, I, I in my brain, I know I'm wrong. I think conservative. Well, a psychologist helps you grasp and conquer self-gaslighting. In other words, you gaslight yourself by being critical. It is a term rooted in the psychological phenomenon of gaslighting. It is a subtle yet damaging behavior where individuals manipulate their own perceptions. Okay, so they read the room wrong memories or beliefs to downplay or dismiss their experiences, emotions, or thoughts, disconnecting them from reality and impeding personal growth. You got that? So self-gaslighting. The question, of course, is why do people do this and what is the solution? Number one, according to the psychologist, it's a fear of failure. Okay, I don't doubt that. I'm not going to try because I'm scared of not being successful, which, by the way, apparently 80% of Gen Zers have that sentiment when it comes to actually going out to a restaurant to eat. But how does this help an individual? How does this help somebody get over it? Well, here's the suggestion from the psychologist. Embrace challenges not as threats to your self-worth, but as opportunities for learning and personal development. Hey, that sounds lame. Well, because it is. The word that keeps jumping into my mind is singular Singular as I read through these solutions for self-gaslighting. It often emerges from lingering past traumas or prolonged exposure to criticism. Okay, that can be very real. What's the solution for that? Well, they say cultivate self-compassion. Just Give yourself a break today. Challenging, you should challenge ingrained negative beliefs. Not helpful. They think that self-inflicted criticism is another thing that festers individuals to be self-gaslighting. Negative judgments and critiques that you receive from others, you make them your own. Well, here's what you need to do. Develop self-awareness. Challenge irrational beliefs. Cultivate self-compassion. Worthless. Utterly worthless. And I got to tell you, the word that jumps to mind that I do believe is crucial in our time, and that word is identity. Who are you? Who are you? Here's, Here's the rather shocking biblical reality. Whatever you think about yourself, The Bible says you're not even close (laughs) to describing how terrible you are. That's the shocking reality of the very honest Bible that says nobody does good, no, not one. We are way worse than we think we are, and yet the Lord stoops to save gloriously. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. God in flesh to save sinners. And then what does he do? He gives us a new identity. I'm not that. I'm no longer associated and identified with that, which by the way, 
this is another helpful exercise when it comes to sins, that you've got sins in your past life. That's not what you are. So if you identify, you, the, 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 big, the big movement these days is gay Christianity. No, no, no. Not even, I would even say not formerly gay Christian. That's wrong too. Don't identify with your past sin. Don't identify with your past experiences. Don't identify with your past fears and concerns and view of self. Who are you now? Who are you now? And most importantly, how does God see you? In Christ, you are beloved. In Christ, you are perfectly righteous. In Christ, you are totally clean. In Christ, you have been given an inheritance. You will reign with God. That's your future because that is your current position in Christ. So if you're struggling with wounds, whether self-inflicted or that were inflicted upon you, consider your identity. Consider that Jesus Christ identified himself with sinners. It wasn't just that he ate with the pagans and, and, and would be willing to talk to prostitutes. He actually lets Matthew, under the inspiration of the Spirit, associate himself with people who were prostitutes. Tamar, Rahab, and a Moabite, a Gentile from a pagan nation. He's not ashamed to identify with them as his lineage. He's not ashamed to identify with you. In Christ, you have a new position and a new identity. This is Wretched Radio. And it's now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. We start today with news from Pope Francis, who recently dropped a theological bomb allowing priests to bless same-sex unions in limited cases. It's okay to bless sin. Yeah, it's a shocking new policy in a green lights clergy affirming openly homosexual couples under strict criteria. I don't care how strict the criteria is, at the end of the day, this is still affirming sinful lifestyles, which a man of the cloth has absolutely zero business doing. Shifting topics, female athletes in Connecticut have scored a victory, allowing their lawsuit to proceed against biological males competing in girls' sports. Two students have argued that forcing adolescent girls to face intrinsically stronger transgender opponents robs them of equal opportunities and safety. Amen. The case spotlights the absurdity where the push for inclusion tramples basic physiology and principles of fairness. Biology is greater than, I don't know, the woke wonderland some people choose to live in. Meanwhile, in Massachusetts, the state moved to have colleges provide abortion pills on campus in anticipation of mail order restrictions. There you go. Way to be progressive. Student health departments are drafting distribution plans that will ensure unrestricted chemical terminations should the worst come to worse. Yeah, that's the thing we need to be preparing for. Not a major economic crisis, not World War III or any threats from Russia or China or anything like that. Earthquakes, hurricanes, tsunamis, wildfires. We don't prepare for that. We prepare that there may not be mail-order abortion pills. Way to go, Massachusetts. 
way to prioritize. Finally, in the wide world of sports, a retired football player has sparked a bit of an outrage this week because he said he was sick of white guys commenting on the game of football. He argued only black perspectives carry validity regarding black athletes. Ironically, the racist rant came in response to very reasonable criticism of a black quarterback's poor performance. You know, everybody has the right to their perspective, no matter how racistly wrong it is. That's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Important dates in Christian history. 387 AD. Augustine of Hippo is converted. His writings became bedrock for the Middle Ages and were influential in the Reformation. The Confessions and City of God are still read by many. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Care for a little flashback, Scarecrow? The report out today says that the number of gang members have increased 65% in the past year. Residents once again today in Northern summer. Ireland with the other news, the Drug Enforcement Agency seized 20 kilos of pure cocaine. Where is the hope? Where is the hope? Where is the hope? I meet millions who tell me that they feel demoralized by the decay around us. Where is the hope? Where is the hope? The hope that each of us have is not in who governs us or what laws are passed or or what great things we do as a nation. Our hope is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. And that's where our hope is in this country. That's where our hope is in life. This is Wretched Radio decades ago. Cholson. That's how you pronounce Chuck Olson's name. From Breakpoint Ministries, he was Mr. Prison Fellowship. He knows full well what it's like to be in prison because he was a member, a lawyer for Richard Nixon, was thrown into the hooskow for the shenanigans surrounding Watergate. He done got saved in prison. And he recognized people not only in prison, but people out in the streets lacking hope. Lo and behold, 30 years later, give or t- I think that 25, 30 years later, after this Stephen Curtis Chapman Heaven in the Real World song featured that clip from Cholson, there's even more hopelessness. This is where it can get tricky for the Christian. Do we want to be wise as serpents and recognize the world is hurting and hopeless? Absolutely. Do we want to offer Jesus as a cure for their hopelessness? That's the answer. We don't want to make the gospel come to Jesus and you'll have hope. But we have to recognize hope most certainly is a part of the gospel, isn't it? You've got hope, don't you? You can't wait to get to heaven because you don't have a cross your fingers, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye kind of hope. You've got a sure promise. I'm going to a better place to be with the best entity in the universe. I know it. That's that's the difference between Christian hope and, ooh, I hope that Wimbledon doesn't get rained out this year. Christian hope is a verity. It's a certainty. We have it. The world lacks it. And unfortunately, too many Christians lack it. And we want to be aware of that. And we want to let people know that hope can be found in Jesus Christ 
alone, an abiding steadfast hope in Christ alone. But we don't want people to come to Jesus merely to have hope, but that isn't to suggest they can't come to Jesus because they do need hope. That's a fine line. Let's be aware of people's hopelessness. Let's not cross the line and turn the gospel into a felt needs presentation. But having said that, people have felt needs, don't they? Now, you use those two words together, and they do have some historical meaning. Felt needs means find out the itch that people have and then scratch it. That That's... Uh, that, that was a trend that is unfortunately still alive and too well today and has resulted in myriads of false conversions. So you want to be careful, even as you use the term felt needs, but we got them, don't we? And just because we're afraid of falling into a ditch of the felt needs nonsense that was used as a seeker sensitive tool to just get people to come to church. I don't think that that means we shouldn't be talking about God and what he does for us in Christ. In addition to forgiveness of sins, there is so much to boast about. There is so much we can tell people, hey, you don't have a future. You don't have a hope. Jesus offers that too. You're afraid Jesus can calm the storms, maybe not of your life, but of your heart too. You need companion. You feel lonely. Jesus will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He offers that too. By the way, I was just discussing this. The reason that we see the story in the Exodus, among other things, is the, 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 the incredible detail that Moses gives regarding the Jews and their response to God. If, if if you recall, God did a couple of things that were pretty spectacular, not the least of which would be 10 plagues, not the least of which would be, you know, parting a sea, washing out the Egyptian army. And what do we see immediately? It starts in Exodus 15. Grumble, grumble. Hey, Moses. Hey, Moses. See, that's why that's why they cast. Oh, what was the name of the guy uh, 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 in the in the Ten Commandments? Edward G. Robinson. Hey, where's your Moses now? See, that's because that's the way they talked. Hey, where's our fruit and vegetables now? See, we don't got no meat. See, and they complained immediately. And then God provides water. What do they do? Complain. So God provides more water. They don't have bread. What do they do? complain rather than remembering God's amazing feats demonstrating that he is powerful and he will take care of his people instead of saying Lord um, we're a little concerned about water can you point us in the right direction here or or help us with what no they were murmurers they were an obstinate people Moses delivers the people out of the hand of Pharaoh. God provides food and water. They saw 10 plagues. Their kids lived while the Egyptian firstborn didn't. And now they're complaining, even as Moses goes up the mountain to cut a covenant, a Mosaic covenant, where the children of Israel would be blessed if they adhered to this covenant. He's on the mountain. God is giving the covenant and down the hill what's going on. 
the Jewish people are making a golden idol. Aaron, what a mystery. Aaron, who didn't have the same divine encounters that God had, nevertheless was selected to be the mouthpiece of Moses. And he saw the miracles. He saw the plagues. And he saw God redeem the people. And what does he do? He helps fashion the cow. And he was the one who, it's just unmistakable in the text. He's like, yeah, let's do an offering now to our God who delivered us out of Egypt. What in the world do we see? If you think that their lack of trust and faithfulness was terrible, fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus is telling the disciples, you're all going to just flee. You're, you're just going to skedaddle. They're going to come and get me, and you are going to hightail it. And what does Peter say? Oh, no, not me. I'll never abandon you. And the disciples chime in. Neither will we. Immediately. And he gets arrested. They all flee. <laughs> and then we read the details of Peter's heartbreaking denial of Jesus Christ, just as he promised. So if you think the faithlessness of the Jewish people, was terrible. Look at the disciples. They saw more miracles than the Jews and Aaron did because Jesus was doing them constantly. So why do we have those stories in the Bible? Take your concordance and look up the word faithfulness. And you will find dozens and dozens of dozens of verses that have even been turned into hymns. Great is thy faithfulness. Because that's that's actually a psalm that God is faithful. God never abandons. God is closer than a brother. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Humans are fickle and cowardly. Jesus is constant and courageous, and he'll never flee. When the chips are down, you can count on him being there. The disciples weren't faithful. Jesus is. And what did Jesus say? Even when he told them that I'm, you're going to abandon me. Hey, meet me in Galilee. And what does he do? He restores Peter with his threefold question after his threefold denial. Why? Because Jesus knew they were going to break his heart. But he was still going to be faithful to them. Have people betrayed you? Hmm? Wanting somebody who's faithful, you've got it in the person of Jesus Christ. We've got that message for a world that is hopeless. We have something that they can cling to and find comfort in. We've got to do it carefully. But might I suggest that we do it and recognize that people do have genuine felt needs? Aren't we all needy? Aren't we all scared? Aren't we all concerned, confused, not knowing what to do? Aren't we all needing something in some way, shape, or form, whether it's community, companionship, whether it's just being plugged into something, being able to do something greater than a... It's all there in Jesus Christ. 30 years ago, give or take, Cholson recognized world is lacking hope. And who exactly is Jesus Christ? He is our hope. Might I encourage you to find somebody? You don't need to ask them if they're hopeless because they probably are. Don't need to ask them if they're scared because they probably are. And maybe you will discover what I've been discovering and what other evangelists have been discovering. Remember Mark Spence encountering this even in Europe? People want something sure. 
People want something solid. People want hope. Let them know they can have it in Jesus Christ. This is Wretched Radio. I would say the Tomorrow Clubs is a wonderful ministry. Kids are getting saved like crazy, not just in Eastern Europe, but also in Africa. And it's so efficient. I was just with Paul and Cindy Marty, and I asked, and it said, in, in American currency, how much does it cost to have a kid come to a Tomorrow Club four times a month? So every single week, what, what's the, what does it take to make that happen? Ready? A buck, one dollar. That's it. The kid comes, they get treats, they get materials that they learn the Bible, they memorize a buck because it's it's all volunteer driven. All those dear ones, they're volunteers. It's an amazing ministry. And if you have a heart for the lost in Eastern Europe, Africa, and you love supporting ministries that are super efficient and biblically sound, I would point you in the direction of tomorrowclub.org slash wretched, tomorrowclub.org slash wretched, and ask how many children might I be able to support per month? Hey, hey, thank you so much for listening to Wretched Radio today. We certainly appreciate you. We appreciate your time. And we appreciate all of you who have given it to this ministry over the years. Without your support, we couldn't do the things that we're able to do here. So we are tickled pink that you're a part of it. Now, I do want to speak to those of you that have given to us before, but maybe something came up in your life where you had to stop giving for a period of time. Nobody understands that better than we do. But I would ask that if you are able to maybe possibly join us again as an ongoing monthly gospel partner, we would definitely welcome you back with open arms. We've got some exciting things on the horizon we can't wait to tell you about and we would not be able to do those things that we've got coming up without your support so if you're in a place in your life where you could join us as an ongoing monthly gospel partner we would love for you to prayerfully consider doing that all the answers to any questions you might possibly have about what this would look like is available at wretched.org donate wretched amazing grace amazing gospel so you aren't convinced of the importance of training godly men to write divide the word of truth in churches internationally well then we'll let paul washer convince you you have to support men who are elder qualified proclaimers of the word when we support a man coming out of tmai we know not only that he is properly trained but we know that he will still be supervised would you please join tmai the master's academy international in advancing the good news of the gospel of jesus christ through expository preaching in local churches around the globe It's a magnificent ministry, and it's so important. Please consider partnering with TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Thank you for supporting indigenous pastors around the world. Titles of Christ In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who he is and what he has done. Jesus is called the bread of life. Just as God gave life to his people in the desert by providing manna, so Jesus gives life to his people through his body broken on the cross, which we remember in the breaking of the bread in communion. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Welcome back to Wretched Radio. My name is Todd, and I promise to focus, Friel. Focus! Headline, six common patterns in toxic churches 
that fire pastors. Thumb Rainer spends a lot of time with pastors, hears from a lot of pastors, and he tends to accumulate patterns, anecdotes that ultimately point toward there's smoke, there's probably some fire going on there, and he has learned the way different churches go about the business of terminating the employee of the pastor. And some of the stories talk about nasty. Let's see what we can learn about these toxic churches. These are the six common patterns of those churches that fire their pastor. These tend to emerge. Number one, there is a power and control issue behind the dismissal. Isn't that, isn't that pretty predictable? There are just some elders that want to be Burger King and run the church their way. They don't want the pastor to really exert authority. They want to do it the way that they want to do it. And if that pastor doesn't get in line, off with his head. Because they desire power. And I hate to, I hate to say this, but power is one of the signs of a false teacher. Now, I'm not saying that this is entirely analogous, but consider Jude. He describes and identifies what it is that motivates false teachers. So does Peter in 2 Peter. Money, desire for money, uh, wickedness. We'll just leave it at that. I think we all know what that means. And power. Eeks. These elders want power. Typically, the pastor has not bowed to the demands and preferences of a power group in the church. That group is often serving on the specific boards or committees that can initiate a firing. At the very least, they have profound influences on those boards and committees. Number two, reasons for the firing. Shh, don't tell the congregation. Now, it might be inappropriate to share some of the details behind it, but that's probably going to be the exception. This is about secrecy. This is about withholding information. Why? Most likely because it was not done wisely or well. Those are these. I got to tell you, I, I've seen both of these. The thumb isn't making this up. This goes on. Too much. Number three, the pastor is given a severance package in return for his silence. <sighs> Number four, the pastor's family. Well, this is now, okay, all right. This goes beyond toxic. This would be just downright nasty. And Tom Rayner says, no, 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 I have several anecdotes that I can share that this happens. The pastor's family is at least implicitly threatened if the pastor does not leave quietly. What? Are you kidding me? In several situations in which I have personal awareness, of which representatives of the power group let the pastor know that they knew things about the pastor's family that would be exposed if the pastor doesn't walk away quietly. Most pastors know that these things are lies, but they do not want to put their family through false accusations. And who could blame them for that? In fact, if you're a pastor that has been in that position and you just walked away underneath those circumstances... I actually think you did the right thing because your first job, your first ministry and duty is to protect your wife and children. And if they are under assault, even if it is from the church that called you, 
to walk away, whether your name is Lorraine or not. No, it's Renee, not Lorraine. It should have been Lorraine. That would have been better. Todd, focus. Just focus. I don't blame you, sir, for walking away. Now, if you're a single pastor or perhaps if your wife is on board and she's prepared for the fight, um, I could understand that, too. But I sure wouldn't blame a guy for packing up his grip and finding a, what sort I'm looking for? A church. <clears throat> Number five, the power group demands that the pastor exit quickly. They don't get to say goodbye to the congregation. Just talk to a fellow. That's exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. Don't say a word. Don't say anything. And other, otherwise, we'll withhold your last paycheck. <sighs> Those people do not have that opportunity, are warned sternly to say nothing negative. On some occasions, the pastors are escorted to their offices to get their belongings and leave. Oh, man, Scylla. Number six, most churches will not question or get involved in this injustice. They don't want to rock the boat. Well, just wait for the new pastor to show up. Fear, avoidance. And that has a really warming effect on the pastor who served you. <laughs> Got to tell you, that is, that is scandalous treatment of a pastor. Here's the tricky part. Identifying that potential in your church. How, how, how could you possibly do that? Well, let's not operate on hunches, or I think, as is always the case, I think direct communication is the way to get to the bottom of things. So I would encourage you, as you are getting examined by the elders, examine them. That is entirely fair. You have the right to do that. Look, I love elders. I love pastors. We, I herald their role a gazillion times here. But I do believe that the submission that is required of an individual who becomes a member of a church that you elder, if that's correct grammar, uh, that's a big deal. We're basically saying, all right, sir, I'm going to trust you with my soul. I'm trusting you with my soul. That's a big deal. So don't be offended if people who are joining your church, oh, it should be done respectfully and it should be done lovingly with honor for certain. But they should be able to do that. And I think we would be wise to ask questions. And any time in your church you see something that's funky, obviously you need to take a little time, consider what it is, don't gossip about it. And if you think, you know, I don't think this is right, what should you do? Don't assume the worst. Go talk to them. Do it respectfully. Do it with honor. They do that. And and you don't want to be interrogating them, but you sure do have the right to ask questions. Jimmy, you ever seen any of that toxic business going on? Yes. And, you know, it, it doesn't bode well for the future pastors of that church. If, if, right. If, well, because who's going to want to come in? You know, if, if, if I'm up for this job, I'm going to call the pastor that was just there. You should. And ask why he left. Yes. Yeah, that you know what, though? That is a nugget of wisdom. Yeah. If you're in seminary or if you're considering becoming a pastor, you should indeed call the pastor who preceded you and said, tell me about your experience. Yeah. Because you don't want to bring your family into what would, well, let's just use the Thom Rainer word, toxic church. 
uh, they get to interrogate you. I shouldn't use the word interrogate. It should be a two-way street. Furthermore, I think this is why we need to have high standards for elders. And this is why I, if, if I were going to be congregational in regard to church polity, this might be an area where this and church membership would be one where I'd go, you know, maybe having the congregation involved is really wise because if you've got a power group, now it's not necessarily the elders, but they're the ones who get appointed to that office. And it's such a big deal and it can have such repercussions to have the congregation know the men and even be able to, I'm going to say it, vote on who the elders are. Uh, that, that might compromise an elder-led church polity, but there might be wisdom in that. And the other time when I'd be inclined to go, you know, having the congregation vote. Now, as, as, a, as a rule, I tip to the side of elder-led that you that men are appointed that lead wisely and well and in general the congregation submits unless they do something super boneheaded or sinful or you know fire a pastor for no reason whatsoever and so that's why i would say being able to vote on that because it's such a big deal would be wise so would voting on new members there is wisdom in that I think we fail to remember in our country, we, we just we've we've so overlooked this. We're such a big country that we can really absorb a lot of punishment from bad people doing really bad things. But when you bring it down smaller, it becomes more problematic. And inside of a church, I think we forget that one person can cause a whole lot of havoc. Furthermore, we do not want to say to that person, we are testifying publicly, too, that you are a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're identifying with us as a local expression of the Church of Jesus Christ, not of Latter-day Saints. And maybe the congregation should get to know that person for a time and then vote them. I've seen that done. I was actually in North Dakota, and I saw that done, and I sat back and watched, and I went, that is really fascinating. Because the pastor said, now that we've all gotten to know this person for the last three or six months, let's vote. Hmm, maybe some wisdom in that? Until tomorrow, I'll keep focusing. Go serve your king.